to encourage you to stay standing for the reading of God's word today. We're reading out of Psalm chapter 63. Here's what it says. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself how I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the swords and become the food of jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear to tell the truth will praise him, while liars will be silenced. Would you go ahead, fist bump two people around you, tell them you're glad they're at church today, and go ahead and take a seat. Welcome to Purpose Church. I am so glad that you are here on our first Sunday of the new year. And uh, there's a pastor that I love to listen to. I listen to him on a weekly basis. I've never met him in person. His name is Pastor uh, John Tyson. And uh, I heard a message last year when he was talking about bucket list items. And uh, a bucket list item is simply something you want to do before you die. And here are some typical bucket list items. Uh, Maybe you want to visit like every national park. Or maybe go to every state. Or maybe you want to visit every baseball stadium, even though baseball is the most boring sport, okay? Oh, man. You guys are, I like it. I like the energy. And that's saying a lot because soccer's terrible too. But, wow, I'm offending a lot of people this morning. This is good. This is good. All right. Um, so maybe that's your bucket list item. Uh, Pastor John Tyson, he had a unique bucket list item. He wanted to visit every single place where a revival has happened, where there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which if this is your first time in church, you're like, what in the world is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Here's what that means. It means that God did major work in a short period of time, and a lot of people were saved. So he went to 17 different locations. Vast majority of them were all in Europe. And he did this study. And when he went back to the United States, he serves uh, at a church in New York. Everybody was asking him the same question. They were saying, what's the secret? What's the secret to revival? What's the secret, John? And John said, yeah, I found it. And he looked back at every person who would ask him that question, and he would answer this. He said, God comes where he's wanted. God comes where he's wanted. And ever since I heard that message, I've been captivated by the thought of what does it look like for our church, and what could it look like for you individually to be hungry for the presence of God? And typically, the first series, when you go to churches in January, and and this is totally fine, um, most people, what they'll do, and most churches, they'll say, hey, we need to be, like, healthy financially this year, and we need to be healthy emotionally, and we need to be healthy relationally, and I agree with all of that. I love those series. Those series are really practical. But as I was thinking about purpose in our first, like, full January, I was like, God, what what are you calling us to talk about? And all of those things are, are very important. But I just felt like God spoke and said, it's time to get hungry for me. That if you do that in 2024, everything else is going to get taken care of. Seek after me. 
seek after my presence. So that's what we're going to do this year, and that's what we are going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about what does it look like to be hungry for God. In fact, that is the title of today's message if you're taking notes, how to be hungry for God. I want to talk about what does that look like in your life, but here's the problem. Here's the challenge as a church. Most of us, a lot of you are probably Christians, yet if you were truly honest, you probably would say, I'm not necessarily hungry for God. I know for me personally, most times I am not actually hungry for God. Some of you, you have reasons why you're not hungry for God. And a lot of times they can be great reasons. You know, you're not necessarily feeling hungry for God because your mind is taken up by something that is consuming you today. Maybe it's a a divorce, a separation, an eviction, a bankruptcy. And, And life is hard and you're thinking, I'm doing everything I can to survive. How in the world can I be hungry for God? Others of you, life may be going well, but you're super busy. You're a glorified Uber driver to your kids. You take them from one place to the another and you're thinking, how in the world am I supposed to hunger for God in this season of life? So today I want to answer this question. How do you cultivate spiritual hunger? How do I cultivate this in my life when I'm busy, when life's hard, when things are difficult? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And we're going to be learning from this passage that I just read from in Psalm chapter 63. It's a beautiful passage. And a lot of this message is coming from Pastor John Tyson. Some of the insights I learned from the message he gave. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The first way that you cultivate spiritual hunger is you need to know that there is purpose in the gap. There is purpose in the gap. Because I don't know what you thought when I read Psalm 63. Pretty famous passage. I know what I thought when I originally read that. Um, When we normally read this, we think about David. And and we put David on like this high pedestal, right? And and we think about David and we're like, you know, David, like he was a great warrior. He was a worship leader. He probably just naturally worshiped God all the time. His life was probably amazing. And when we think about Psalm 63, this amazing passage that we still talk about to this day, and we think about David writing it, we probably think, you know what? David wrote this while he was hanging out in his palace, in his kingdom. He was sipping on some in root coffee. He probably just had a great pastry. He was enjoying, you know, and enjoying a morning stroll, and he was just in a great frame of mind, and he sat down, and he thought to himself, it is time to write Psalm 63, and people are going to recite this for years and years to come. That's not what happened. If you read at the top of Psalm 63 in your Bible, it says this is a Psalm of David regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. Other places say when he was in the desert of Judah. Whenever you read in scripture that someone is in the wilderness or the desert, that means their life circumstances are not going well. And maybe you're walking into church today and your life circumstances are not going well. I believe this is going to be an encouragement for you. It's believed that when David was writing this, he was on the run because his son was trying to kill him so that he could get his dad's kingdom. That is not great circumstances. I want you to imagine for a moment, uh, Michael Bidwell, he is the owner of the Arizona Cardinals. Imagine his son does a takeover of his dad's business and his dad's team. 
His son hates his dad so much that he, that he calls for his dad's head to be put on a platter. So much that Michael fears for his life, so he heads over, and he, everything's taken from him. He doesn't have any money, he doesn't have anything, but he scrounges up some finances. And he goes to the Sky Harbor Airport because he knows he's got to get out of here because his son wants to kill him. And he hops onto a Spirit Airline flight because he ain't got no money. And he flies to the middle of Iowa, and he's in a Super 8 motel with spotty Wi-Fi. He's got a first-generation iPad and terrible lighting. And he's sitting there thinking to himself, how has my life become this? What happened to my legacy? What happened to my wealth? What happened to my family? How in the world did I end up here? And then he opens up his notes app, and he says, oh, God, I earnestly search for you. That is much more similar to the situation that David was in than the things that we conjure up when we think that David wrote this. David was in a terrible time, yet he writes, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. You see, pain is the gift that stirs up hunger in our souls for God. You see, most times the greatest enemy of hunger for God is a great life in the eyes of the world. That's when you're supposed to say amen, because that's good. Most times, your hunger for God is viewed as a great life in the eyes of the world. And that's why we struggle. Because we walk around expecting that our life is supposed to be perfect, and we want a good life. And I want to tell you something. In my life, I've had a good life, but there's been pain. There's been struggle. There's been relationship tension. There's been a lot of tension in my family. And here's what I've also learned, that when my life is good... I don't actually learn that much. It's enjoyable. It's desirable. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. But in that moment, I'm not learning all of the things I could have learned if I'm walking through pain. And I know that the most formative moments of my life, they're the painful ones. They're the times of doubt. It's the time of heartache. It's the time of hurt. And I'm not saying that God caused your hurt this morning, but sometimes God can use hurt to wake you up when you get complacent, when you get apathetic, and when you get lukewarm because God wants to show you the importance of being hungry and desperate for him. You see, the desire of God's heart is that you would desire him above everything else. And if he's got to put a little pain in your life for you to do that, he knows it's worth it because he knows what's best for you. There's purpose in the gap. When we know there's purpose in the gap, um, those are those moments when, when we understand that what we're seeing doesn't line up with what we feel like we should see. And this is when faith is built. It's when you have to start crying out. It's when you have to start being desperate. Because here's what I've learned. Great times may make you more grateful, but they will never make you more hungry for God. Great times, they may make you more grateful, but they don't make you more desperate. So how do we cultivate a spiritual hunger, uh, whether, you know, good things are happening in our life or bad things are happening in our life? And one of the things, this is a, a challenge in our society. Think about the United States and think about one of the reasons why our country is headed in the way it is, in, in a poor direction. It's because our country desires comfort above everything else. 
Jesus' most famous sermon on the mount, which I read yesterday as part of our reading plan. We'd love for you to get plugged in. Here's what he said. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, that the needy and the hungry get the attention of God. Man, but for most of us, that is not the desire of our hearts. So if we're going to cultivate spiritual hunger, we have to know that there's purpose in the gap. The second thing we need to know is this. How can you cultivate spiritual hunger? You need to understand what you believe will fulfill you. For some of you, the next 10 minutes of preaching is the most important thing you're going to hear today because you've been pursuing something your entire life that you thought was going to fulfill you, and God wants to speak to you right now. You see, God wants us to investigate our hearts to see what we truly desire, and then we need to test those desires against God's word. Here's what David said in Psalm 63.3. He said, your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. We're not walking past this verse too quick, okay? Do you really believe that God's love is better than life? Do you really believe that God's love is better than your spouse, than your kids, than your job, than your money, than your resources? David is writing something that we can read, and I think as Christians, we look at it and we're like, yeah, that's a really, really good verse. But then we really dive in to our thoughts, and we start asking, is God's love better than wealth? Is God's love better than my job? Is God's love better than my family? Is God's love better than my spouse? Like, if I just had God's love, would I be okay? None of those things are bad things. But God wants to be the primary desire of your heart. The verse continues. He says, I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. Now, uh, one thing to notice from this verse, and it's just kind of a quick aside. I talk about this often if this is your first time. Uh, we just said from the beginning we want to be a church uh, that's passionate for God. Like, you can't just walk in this church and be like, this is a dead church. They're really, really quiet. We want to be a church that's loud. We want to be a church that says amen. We want to be a church who raises our hand in worship. And we say this, this isn't a denominational thing. This is a biblical thing. You see, David got made fun of because of the way that he worshiped in scripture by his wife. And David just said, I don't care if I'm undignified because I am dignified before the Lord because there is nothing more important than to worship him. That following Jesus, it's not a denominational thing. This is a Jesus thing. And my prayer every single week when I pray over our church is that eventually this would be a church where every single seat is full. And there are people when you walk in, and even if you don't follow Jesus, you look around and you just say, there's something different here. Man, people raise their hands, they sing, they clap, they say amen. What is going on here? It's a group of people who actually take God at his word and believe that he is good and believe that he is faithful. That's the type of church we want to be. So when we look at the description of God's love, he says we are going to be fully satisfied as the richest of foods. Have any of you ever had a seven-course meal? Anybody? Anybody ever have a seven-course meal? Okay. I've never actually had one before. Um, I was Googling it, and I wanted to describe a seven-course meal, but I couldn't pronounce half the names. So I'm like, not going to do that one. Let's talk about Thanksgiving for a moment. All right? 
So Thanksgiving, you eat a lot. You eat a lot. And at the end of it, you feel so full and all you want to do is take a nap and watch the Cowboys win, right? There we go. Okay. Yep. I did it. Um, but, but what he's saying here is that I want to be so filled up and so uh, just filled up with God's love that I feast on his love. Like this is supposed to be the desire of our hearts because you are a person of desire. We all have desires. The problem is not our desires. The problem is where we place our desires. You see, most of us, we place our desires of things that are not bad things above God. Let me give you a couple examples. Some of you, you're in this season where you're single and you are desperate to get married. The only thing you want is to be married. And here's the problem. When you become so desperate to be married, it can be very easy to settle for someone that God doesn't want you to be with. On the other side, when you are so desperate to get married, what you can do is you can place your future spouse above God and essentially you're making him an idol and you're ultimately destroying your marriage before it even starts because you believe they're supposed to be your savior and they never are going to be your savior. Others of you, you are so desperate for wealth and when we look at the story of the prodigal son, wealth is not bad, but when you place it above God, it can destroy your life. You see, God's love is better than life. You see, this is a huge claim. And uh, when he uses this term love, uh, here's the term in the original language. Uh, it's called hesed, okay? And what's interesting about this word, it's used 450 times in the Old Testament, 450 times. The problem is, um, it's really hard for this word to get translated into the English language, uh, because in the English language, we just say love. But in scripture, there's so many different terms for love. So when it comes to hesed, uh, it, it, it shows in various forms in the Old Testament as, as kindness, goodness, mercy, loyalty, faithfulness. And commentators say that when David is using this term, we actually need to combine a couple of those words to really understand what that term love actually means. So the best translation they say is that it is loving kindness. You see, human relationships can cause your body to produce three chemicals where you literally can become addicted to another person. It's like heroin. Like you can literally become addicted to another person. Uh, oftentimes this happens in the early stage of a relationship. You see, you start dating someone and you start dating them and you're like, oh my goodness, this person, they're perfect. They could never do any wrong. They're amazing. And then you date them a longer than a week. And you realize they are not perfect, that they do make mistakes. And sometimes that infatuation, it can wear off. And you understand that, that both people have faults. But when you look at our culture, we romanticize this type of love everywhere in the songs that we sing, the shows that we watch, and the movies that we watch as well. Why? Because these types of relationships are the closest things we can have on earth to the divine. Like it feels like these human relationships can fully and finally satisfy us, but it's devastating when you realize they were never meant to fully and finally satisfy you, no matter what relationship you're in. 
It doesn't matter how great the relationship is. Others of you, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how great your job is. Those things are fine, but they are never going to fully and finally fulfill you. But here's the amazing thing about God. The more you experience the love of God, the more you can be amazed by God. God is the only relationship that we can have, that we can be truly satisfied in him, yet we can desire more of him. Like I can, I can experience God this morning and be finally satisfied in him, yet I can still desire more of him. And David was desperate for this type of love. You see, many Christians, we walk around and we don't experience the fullness of God's love that he offers us this morning. I started working out um, last January, if you can't tell, no big deal. Um, <laughs> And uh, hanging out with uh, my friend Chad, he's our associate pastor, and uh, first couple weeks while we're working out, I I would walk around with this small little water bottle, like small, super small, and I would have to refill it like five times while I'm working out. And finally, Chad just walks in, and he gives me a water bottle, and he's like, dude, you need a water bottle, a real water bottle. Like, I'm tired of you, you know, just walking around and having to refill this thing five times. And I think that analogy is very perfect when it comes to our relationship with God for many of us. You see, we walk around with this small little water bottle of God's love, and that's how much we experience him. Yet God is offering us like a Stanley water bottle when it comes to his love, okay? Like it's so much. And honestly, when you think about it, that is really small thinking. And some of you, you got like a water bottle full of God's love the way you're experiencing. You need to take that next step. You need to experience the Stanley. But honestly... You have an ocean of God's love that you can partake in. You see, God's love, it says in Ephesians, it's so deep, it's so wide, it's so high, it's so long. Like, we can never fully grasp and understand the fullness of his love, but we have to learn how to feast on his love. You see, David, he had relationships and power and wealth, yet he said, your love is better than life. Some of you, you're going through hurt today. You're experiencing shame. You're experiencing guilt. And you're asking the question, could God ever love me? And the answer is yes. He can heal you today. And he can help you experience his love. You see, if you want to cultivate desire, you need to learn to delight in God's love. George Mueller uh, lived in the UK. He started an orphanage ministry and fed thousands of kids. He lived directly by faith. Like anytime he got money, he gave it to these kids. He poured into this orphanage. And people would often ask him, like, what's the secret to the success of your ministry? Like, how are you seeing all that God is doing? And he answered with this. He said, the chief duty of the Christian is to make their hearts glad in the Lord the first thing of the day. It's to delight in God's love. It's to make your heart happy in God. Yet for most of us, we don't do this. And a lot of you, you're like, Josh, this sounds good. But what does that even mean? What does it mean to feast on God's love? That sounds really weird. Some of you, first time in church today, you're not into God. And you're like, yep, this is weird. My question for you is, what, um, like, what are you meditating on? Because many of us don't do this. Like, imagine someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, what are you up to this evening? And you look back at them and you say, you know what? I cannot go out today because I am going to be meditating and marinating my heart on the love of God. Most of us are never, ever saying that, right? We're like, let's go hang out. 
Now, let me give you an example. You see, in Psalm 63.3, and like this is just a way that you can start growing and feasting and loving God. He says, your love is better than life. So you can read that verse and you can just say, God, I am going to sit here and I am just going to marinate on this verse for five minutes. God, thank you for your love. God, your love is better than money. God, your love is better than travel. God, your love is better than sex. God, your love is better than Michigan football, even though they're going to win a national championship tomorrow. Go blue. God, help me experience that love right now. And then just say, I'll wait. I'll wait. My, my wife, she was a teacher, and uh, she, she got famous in her classroom. They knew exactly what she was going to say. When people would stop talking and would start talking, she would just get silent. And she would sit there, and she'd say, I'll wait. I'll wait. She would say it so much that they would look back at her and say, she'll wait. <laughs> Some of you, you just got to sit, and you, you got to wait. God, I, I read this verse, and I'm just going to meditate on it. You see, meditation in the world is emptying your mind. Meditating when you're a Christian is different. You're not just emptying your mind. You're filling your mind with God's word and God's truth. You're filling your mind with the beauty of God, the glory of God, the love of God. You can start doing this every moment of every single day. The way I do this, I love to take walks. So I put my AirPods on, I listen to worship music, I sing, people probably think I'm crazy, I pray, I just become overwhelmed by the love of God. When you see a great sunset, God, thank you so much for that. When you eat a great meal, God, thank you so much for that. Like just take all of the blessings that God has given you and marinate on his love. What would it look like? for us as a church to be passionate about God's love, and that is just normal. You see, Jesus was a passionate man. Jesus turned tables in the temple, and he chased people out with a whip because they were uh, degrading his temple. It says in Scripture that zeal for my house will consume me. When Jesus saw a friend who died, he wept because Jesus was a man of passion and emotion. The Holy Spirit in Scripture represents wind and fire. And 40 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, it was the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came upon every person who believed in Jesus and miracles and signs and wonders happened and people lived with passion. The story of the prodigal son when he's walking back, what does his dad do? When he sees his dad from a far way off, signifying that his dad was looking. His dad was sitting on his porch every single day wondering, when is my son going to be back? And when he saw a glimpse of his son, do you know what he did? He ran to him. Following Jesus is meant to be a passionate pursuit. It is not supposed to be half-hearted. It is not supposed to be lukewarm. We are called to live with emotion. We are called to live with passion. We are called to actually believe that what God says is true and he wants to change your life today. So are you going to let him? Isaiah chapter 55 says this. Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? The invitation of Jesus today is to come and experience this incredible love. 
experience it and know that it is better than a paycheck. It's better than an accomplishment. It's better than any relationship. And I believe that God wants to use a group of people who are passionate about this love to show this love everywhere we go. So we're going to cultivate our hunger in God. How else are we going to do that? The next thing we're going to do is we're going to get near the flame. We're going to get near the flame. If you want to change, I want you to listen for the next few moments. If you hang out with cynical people, you will become cynical. If you hang out with apathetic people, you will become apathetic. If you hang out with lukewarm people, you will become lukewarm. You will become the traits of the people you hang out with. So if you do not like your current trajectory, you need to ask yourself, who are you hanging out with? You see, God may be calling some of you uh, to pursue some different relationships and seeing people who are further along in life, who have a relationship with Jesus that you desire, and you need to start hanging out with them. That's why as a church, um, practically speaking, here's what I'm encouraging you to do over the next year. You see, churches, they're normally pretty filled. They see, you know, bigger attendance in January. It's just like the gym, right? First week, man, where'd all these people come? Three weeks later, where'd all those people go? Like, that's just what happens. And I'm just going to tell you, some of you, that is the, you got up to go to church today, and I'm telling you, like, the enemy's going to get in your brain. He's going to start doing things. He, he's going to be like, oh, my goodness, they took this step. They're starting to grow. I need to do something. The question is, are you going to keep coming back? So I'm going to encourage you over this next year. The first thing is this. Make the house of God a priority. Sundays in 2024, you're here. Sunday morning, 10 a.m., I'm here. This is what I do. This is where I go. Someone asks for a breakfast? Okay, we can go after church. We can go before church. But Sundays at 10 a.m., the house of God is a priority. And if you consistently show up, God will work. God will move. Secondly, uh, we're going to be launching uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. Okay, um, we do this at the beginning of the year. Last year, we did this on January 1st uh, till January 22nd, which was the launch of our church. Uh, this year, we're going to launch this tomorrow through January 28th. And here's how you can participate. The reason we do this is we believe that God loves when we give him what's first. So we want to give God our first month to say, God, I am intentionally seeking you this year. So the way we're going to do that is we have daily prayer. Okay, on Zoom, Monday through Thursday for the next 28 or 21 days from 6.15 to 6.30. So jump on Zoom, purposearizona.com slash daily prayer. Uh, the next three Saturdays, the 13th, 20th, and 27th, I believe, we are going to be here from 5 to 6 p.m. And we're going to talk through what does it look like to grow in our prayer life. And we are going to pray together. Okay, we're not going to have child care, but if you have kids, Bring your kids. I want them running around. I want them talking. I want them here because I want you, uh, I want your kids to see you praying and seeking the Lord. And lastly, we're going to fast. Some of you, you've never fasted before. Uh, fasting is intentionally disconnecting from the world so that you can connect with God. Here's what it really is when it comes down to it. You, you take something out of your meal schedule so that when you get hungry, it reminds you that this year you are going to hunger for God. So if you go to PurposeArizona.com slash fasting, you're going to see many different ways to fast. You need to be healthy. Um, you know, if there's nutrition things you need to do, that's totally fine. But I would encourage everybody to participate over the next 21 
days. The third thing is this. I'm going to encourage you. If Purpose Church is your home, you call this church your home, join the dream team. Because sometimes and most times, the biggest way that God wants to use you to grow your faith is helping someone else grow in theirs. It's when you start opening a door. It's when you start setting up. It's when you start tearing down. It's when you get on the production team, the worship team, uh, kids team, social media team, student team, whatever it is, you start understanding that when you follow Jesus, you are called to be a servant, to serve. God says the greatest among you are the ones who serve. And when you start serving, God uses it to change other lives, but he also changes your life as well. In fact, I saw a video on this um, in my Twitter feed a few weeks ago, and I thought it was powerful, and I want to go ahead and share it now. Check this out. If I'm honest, I never really liked the church. I didn't even really like Christians that much. I used to think of it like a package deal. Like, you get Jesus, and so you get the church and Christians thrown. It's just part of the package, and uh, there are some bits you like Jesus, some bits you don't like so much, just like the church and Christians um, used to find that a bit annoying. But I'd turn up the church and go through it, I didn't really enjoy going to church. And then one day uh, I was at the back of our church in East London and someone said to me, oh, we need help to run the coffee team. And I was like, I was like working like 70, 80 hour a week. I'm like, what? And they were like, yeah, we, Steve, we really need your help running the coffee team on a Sunday. And I was thinking, I'm a barrister, I'm not a barista. Like, I've got a job, I don't need another job to run a coffee team. But I just, you know, sometimes you, you just can't even think of what to say. So I was like, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it, okay. And, and I instantly thought, why did I do that? So I turn up next week, like, you know, trying to get the cups and everything, get the coffee right. As I handed these cups to people, something really changed in me. I found myself, as I handed coffee to these people, growing in love for them. I was like, these people are amazing. Like this is this extraordinarily diverse community. It's been gathered from across the area, probably not another place that looks as diverse and integrated as this. This, this is a miracle. And then I, even people I found a little bit more frustrating and complicated, as I handed them their coffee, I kind of grew in love for them. And I kind of basically fell in love with the church. And then I kind of went back to the person who'd asked me to do it. I said, we need a new coffee machine. We need better beans. We need better mugs. Like, we, come on, these are amazing people. I want this to be the best coffee that they get. You know, they, they're coming to church on a Sunday morning. I got more and more passionate. I started to build a team to serve coffee on a Sunday morning. I sometimes say making coffee changed my life because I fell in love with the Church of Jesus Christ. I didn't realize why it was special. I didn't realize why it mattered. And as I made coffee for people, I suddenly realized, oh, the church is like, the bride of Jesus Christ. It's like the thing he gave himself for. Like the church is God's plan for the salvation of the world. There's no plan B and God is gonna build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So like God is putting all his eggs in the church basket. And I realized over those few weeks, there's a beautiful thing here. Yes, it messes up. Yes, it makes mistakes. You'll never find a perfect church, but it's a beautiful thing. And I thought, that's what I want to spend my life building. So you have the opportunity. We all have the opportunity to build God's kingdom today, and we would love to help you do that. Um, there's many different options when it comes to serving and getting plugged in. We would love to help you do that. Um, but I love what he said. This is God's plan A. There is no plan B. And God wants to use every single person in here to make an incredible difference. 
as we kind of wrap up, lastly, how do I cultivate the hunger for God? And uh, I think this one's just so important. Some of you, you need to write this one down, um, especially if this is your first time at church in a while. Maybe you've fallen away from church or God. You need to determine that this is a lifetime of pursuit, not a one-off season. There's a lot of you, you may feel inspired today. That inspiration's gonna wear off in a day. It may wear off after you eat lunch. I hear so many stories of people, they're like, Josh, that sermon changed my life. Josh, that service changed my life. Josh, I just love the church and, and I hear that. And then I never see him again. It happens often. Jesus talks about it. It's the parable of the sower. It's terrifying. Only 25% of the seeds that he talks about actually go to a hundredfold and bring back a return. Motivation is fun at the beginning, but it wears off. I love what Zig Ziglar says. He says, people often say that motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. Keep showing up. Keep diving in. Keep leaning in. Man, I don't feel like going to church. I'm going. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I'm going. I don't feel like praying. Man, that is the most important time to pray. When you don't feel like worshiping, it is time to worship. You see, motivation and passion is easy when it's easy, but let this be a year that we resolve in our spirit. Man, I'm going to keep coming back. I'm making church a priority. I'm making God's love a priority. I'm making prayer a priority. I am getting in his presence over and over and over again. I'm not just asking things of God. I want more of God. And then you will cultivate desire and hunger. You see, Satan's plan is not to destroy you uh, by you falling so far away and maybe like going to prison. Satan just wants to distract you. That's what he wants to do. He wants to distract Christians so that you don't make the impact and you don't draw closer to God the way that God wants you to draw close to him. And when I think about our church, and I think about you individually, and I think about the opportunity and the potential in this room for the Holy Spirit to start a movement that is not only impacting this valley, but has the ability to impact our whole world. You see, God will go over thousands of lukewarm hearts to ignite the one heart who is hungry for Him. So my question for you, is are you going to be hungry for God in 2024? If so, I'm so glad you're here and I can't wait to be on this journey with you. So let's go ahead and take a moment and let's seek God today, right now. Would you stand to your feet for a moment? When you, close, or when you stand to your feet, go ahead and close your eyes for me. And um, I just wanna ask a question. If you want this year to be the year where you hunger for God and you draw closer to Him than you've ever drawn closer to Him before, while everybody's eyes are closed, I just want you to raise your hand. Like if you want this to be the year, and if, you, if you're not raising your hand, that's okay, wherever you're at. But like, if you're saying, this is the year I'm drawing close to God, go ahead and raise your hand while everybody's eyes are closed. And I wanna take a moment to pray over you. God, I pray for every single hand in this auditorium. I pray that we are a church and a group of people who hunger and thirst for you, Lord. 
God, we want you more than anything right now. Lord, we want your presence. Lord, we want the power of the Holy Spirit to be tangible in this moment and every time we gather. God, we pray that every single person raising their hands now would be a world changer. That God, you would recognize and help them know that you wanna use them to make a difference. But God, the most important thing they can do is feast on your love. So God, thank you for your presence this morning and thank you for the opportunity to do what we get to do. And God, we wholeheartedly pray for revival in this city, revival in this valley, revival in our families and revival in our hearts. God, we desire you more than anything else. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and the church said, amen. Hey, what's up everyone? My name is Jess. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We're so glad to have you. And hey, if you made a first time decision to follow Jesus today, we are so excited for you. It is the best decision that you will ever make. I wanna encourage you to go to our website, purposearizona.com slash connect card, and you'll see a connect card on the website. Go ahead and fill that out. It gives us a little bit of information about you and helps us come alongside you and support you as you start this journey. Also, if you just wanna connect with our church or if you wanna invest financially in what God is doing here in the Valley, all of the information is on the website, purposearizona.com. And lastly, we meet in person every Sunday at 10 a.m. at Desert Edge High School, and we'd love for you to join us. Be sure to follow us on social media for any other updates. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.